today at church, we are starting a brand new series. We're starting a brand new series looking at Luke's Gospel, Episode 2. Episode 2. If you were with us last year, this time last year when we started meeting um, as 6pm for the first time, we started Episode 1. And Episode 1, the first nine or so chapters of Luke's Gospel, was asking the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, episode two, we're saying to ourselves, okay, if that's who Jesus is, how do we live? If that's who Jesus is, how do we live? We've called the theme Count the Cost, because if you want to live for Jesus, it's about counting the cost. Now, I just want to point out, hopefully you received one of these books as you came in, or it's on your seat. If you've got a spare copy near you that someone else doesn't have, pass it around. And if you're looking for a copy, just stick up your hand, and Curtis has about 10 or so spare ones. We're running short, but hopefully they'll come out. Now, let me just explain um, what are in these booklets. These booklets are a really great resource. If you have a look inside, um, there are places for you to write notes for each sermon. So if you're someone like me who likes to take notes to stay focused, there are places to do that in there. There are daily Bible readings. There's a calendar for you to keep track of what is going on at church. Uh, There are places with the questions for our Connect Group Bible studies. Uh, So that's in there as well. Um, It's a fantastic resource that our team has been putting together. The amazing Tan, who's a member of our church. Where is Tan? She designed the front cover and did all of that. How good is that? Uh, We love it. Um, I think the guy in the top middle looks a bit like Curtis from the side wearing glasses. Anyway, uh, so, can I encourage you to bring along this every Sunday, uh, bring it along to your connect groups. It's a great resource. I'm going to invite up Kylie, and she's going to begin our time in Luke's Gospel, Episode 2. Thanks, Kylie. Okay, so Luke 9, chapter um, 9, uh, verse 51. which is on page 891 in your pew Bible. Samaritan opposition. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. The cost of following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the, be- let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
This is the word of the Lord. And continuing on in chapter 10, verses 1 to 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Donna. Well, about 150 years ago, some Welsh missionaries went into northeast India, into a region called Assam, to proclaim Jesus. This region was filled with a whole bunch of tribes. Many of them were quite aggressive and hostile. But as they told people about Jesus, one man, his name was Nokyang, became a Christian. He told his wife about Jesus. He told his kids about Jesus. Nokyang's family became a Christian. 
And they were so excited about Jesus that they told others in their community, in their tribe, and others became Christians. Well, the tribe, uh, the tribe leader didn't like that. The tribe leader called Nokyang and his kids and his wife to stand before the tribe and commanded that they denounce their faith in Jesus, give it all up. And Nokyang said these famous words, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Nokyang watched his wife and his kids be executed. And when he had the chance to say his final words, he said, The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. And some of you who are familiar with church hymns know that those words have been turned into a hymn based on an Indian melody from that region. Nokyang, his life teaches us what it means to be a Christian, doesn't it? See, for Nokyang, he was following Jesus, no matter what the cost, and he was a messenger of Jesus, telling others about Jesus, following and a messenger. That's what we see in our passage today. That's what we see in our passage tonight. In episode two of Luke's gospel, he's teaching us what it means to be a Christian. Episode two, it starts in chapter nine, verse 51. Look down at chapter nine, verse 51. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now the key word there is resolutely. Jesus is not dawdling. He is not one of those annoying slow walkers that just just hog the sidewalk. No, he's walking with purpose. He's walking with resolution. Why? Because he knows Jerusalem is where he's going to be crucified and die for the sins of you and me. That's why he came. And so he's walking with resolve towards Jerusalem. And as he walks the road... He's teaching his disciples what it means to be a Christian. And, you know, tonight we're walking the road with Jesus, aren't we? Those of us who are Christians, we're walking the road with Jesus. Not not the road to Jerusalem, but the road through life. The road through life. And Jesus wants to teach us what does it mean to walk that road. Now, some of us in this room have just become Christians in the last year or so. We are at the start of that road. But others of us in this room, you've been a Christian for a while, and, and we're further down the road. And, and this passage may seem a little familiar in some senses. And yet, I'm sure if you're like me, you know how easy it is to get distracted by other roads. To get distracted from the road with Jesus and think, oh, this road looks a bit more comfortable. I'll take that path or I'll get a bit distracted. And so Jesus wants to teach us all tonight, what does it mean to walk the road with him? And two things, just like what we saw in Nokian. Number one, be a follower, going after him. And number two, be a messenger, going before him. Followers and messengers. Let's look at the first one. We are followers of Jesus. 
we don't talk about following people very much today unless we're talking about Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram. And, you know, when, when we talk about following there, we're just talking about you know, following people's dog photos, their photos of their vegan food. Uh, and if they post too much, we just unfollow them. That's it. It's easy. Done. But when we're talking about following Jesus, we're not just talking about, you know, keeping up to date with him and following his, his status updates. We're talking about something radical. We're talking about living for him, serving him, obeying him, because he's our king. He's our Lord. He died for us. And out of great thankfulness and out of great joy and happiness, we want to live for him, serve him, obey him as our king. That is following. Now, in our passage, Jesus, he meets three men on the road to Jerusalem. And with each man, he has a talk with them about what it means to follow. And his point with all three men are the same. If you want to follow me, you've got to put me as number one. You've got to put me as number one. Let's look at the first person he meets. And we learn from this first person that to follow Jesus, you have to put him above comfort. Above comfort. Look at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What this man says seems pretty good, doesn't it? Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm with you. But Jesus, he sees into people's hearts. He knows people's hearts. And he knows that this man hasn't actually counted the cost. But this man, comfort, is more important than Jesus. And Jesus says to him, you don't understand. Foxes, they have a nice place to rest in their den. Birds have a nest where they can relax and chill out. But me, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. You want to follow me? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And it's the same thing with us today, isn't it? There are going to be moments where following Jesus is not easy. We're such a comfortable life here in the lower North Shore, don't we? But following Jesus is not a stroll by the harbour. And there will be moments where we'll be put at a fork in the road. You know when you're going on a bushwalk and you know, you've been walking for a while, you're a bit disoriented... Everything's fine when there's a clear path. You're just following that path. It's all laid out. You're moving forward. But then you get to those moments when the path just splits into a fork, into one that way, one the other way. And you've got to make a choice. There will be times when God places before us a fork in the road. We have to decide, which are we going to pick, Jesus or comfort? Which are we going to pick, using our money for our own comfort because we deserve it, have some me time, treat yourself, or giving generously to God until it hurts. Which are we going to pick? Taking the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus and risking your reputation potentially. Or going the comfortable option and keeping your head down. Which are we going to pick? The opportunity to move forward in our career or obeying Jesus? And putting him first. There are so many moments where we placed before us a fork in the road. And you know, it's not always the big things. It's a series of small decisions. 
where we have to decide. Can I say, if you've never felt uncomfortable following Jesus, I think there's a problem. If you've never faced that choice of choosing between your own comfort and Jesus, I think that's a warning sign that life's too comfortable. Well, Jesus meets the next man, and we learn from the next man that he meets that Jesus must take priority over family. Jesus must take priority over family. Look at verse 59. Verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Maybe you're thinking, okay, Jesus is sounding a little bit harsh. But Jesus is not saying here that we shouldn't care about our families. He makes very clear that we're to honour our father and mother. Family is important. This is another fork in the road moment. There's going to be moments when family, very good thing. But we're at a fork in the road. Which is going to come first, family or Jesus? I can think of my friend uh, who I was in a connect group with last year. And uh, he was from Iran and he became a Christian. But he knew very clearly that by becoming a Christian... He would be ostracized, alienated from his family. He counted the cost. And sometimes to follow Jesus will be placed in those situations. Particularly for the Jews of this day, they would have been alienated from their families, rejected for following Jesus. Well, Jesus meets another man. And this time he says, to follow him, we've got to have singular focus. Look at verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first... Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Key problem with this man is he wants to look back. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Lot and Lot's wife being rescued from the city of Sodom in the Old Testament. Sodom was an evil city. Lot and his wife were rescued, but Lot looked back. Part of her heart longed to be back in that city. Part of her heart longed to be back engaging in the sin of that city. And, you know, it's so easy like that as Christians, isn't it, to be like that. We become a Christian and we think, yeah, I'm a Christian, but maybe it's okay if I just live like I used to live before I was a Christian. Maybe it's okay if I do just dabble a little bit in sin, compromise. Maybe it's okay if I don't live for Jesus 100%, but just 95%. We look back. And tragically, I'm sure some of us know people who not only looked back, but turned back. Three men, Jesus meets. Three men. First one wants to put comfort over Jesus. Second one wants to put family over Jesus. Third one has two focuses. And Jesus is saying to us all tonight, where's your heart? What's number one? Who's first? The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. No turning back. Or to walk with Jesus on the road, firstly, is to be a follower. Secondly, 
It's to go before him as a messenger, to go before him as a messenger, proclaiming him, telling people about him, telling people the good news. In our passage, the first section from chapter 9, verse 51 to 55, talks about the disciples and Jesus sending the 12 disciples ahead of him to proclaim him. Now, if that's all we had, then we'd be saying to ourselves, great, this is good news. It's the pastors. The pastors have to tell people about Jesus. They, 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 they're full-time. They're paid. They're jobs. They've done four years of Bible college. The pastors, they do the job. How great is that? But no, look at chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, let me quickly summarize what the Bible scholars say, and you might want to go chat with Lionel about this. He'll give you more information. 72, they look at the Old Testament, and they say 72 is significant and that it resembles the whole people of God, the whole people of God. So what it's saying there is Jesus is sending us all out, every single one of us. He's sending us all out to our family, to our friends, to our workplaces, to our mother's groups, whatever it is. He's sending us all. He's sending us out two by two. You see that there? In other words, we don't have to go at it alone. We need help. We need partnership with others. We need prayer. We need some people financially backing other people to make it possible. We do it together. But he's sending us out. And what are they to proclaim? What's the message that we've got? Look at verse 9 of chapter 10. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The message these people are saying is, God's kingdom is coming. It's near. God's king is near. Jesus and when Jesus died on that cross shortly after this, God's kingdom broke into history. God's saving rule, his saving reign in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God's king. And if you trust Jesus today, you're part of God's kingdom, forgiven of your sins, knowing the ruler and Lord of the universe is your king. That's the message we proclaim today. Jesus. And he sent that us us out to declare that. Now, what I just said is pretty unpopular in our world today. Our world today, the logic goes, you can believe whatever you want, just don't push it on anyone else. Believe whatever you want, just don't push it on anyone else. Now, of course, we don't want to push anything on anyone. But if you're in the room tonight, and maybe you've got that thought, you're a skeptic here tonight exploring Jesus, and you've had that thought before, can I encourage you, Christians truly believe that Jesus is the only hope of the world. Now, if someone knew that they had the only cure for cancer and kept it to themselves and didn't tell anyone, that would be evil. Christians believe that we have the only hope, Jesus, and so out of love, that's why we want to tell people. It makes total sense, actually. If Christians truly believe this, if we truly believe this, we want to tell people out of love. People need to hear. That's why we started this service here at 6 p.m. Not just for a comfortable 
hang out with a whole group of Christians because we want to be built up and encouraged as Christians. And we want the world to hear this message of Jesus. And that's still our mission here at 6 p.m. Well, Jesus explains a little bit about what it's going to be like as messages. What is it going to look like as we proclaim Jesus? He says a whole bunch of things. He says, firstly, there's a big need. There's a big need. Look at verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He paints a picture of a harvest. The crops are ripe. They're ready to be gathered in. And he's saying, look around you. The harvest of souls, the harvest of people is plentiful. People are ready to hear about Jesus. You ever stood on one of the footbridges near the highway going into the city around North Sydney? You look down at all the cars going into the city, going across the harbour bridge at peak hour. And when I stand there, I think, gee, I'm glad I'm not on one of those cars just gives you that picture of how big our city is. Five million people. And you know, all the surveys say that people are far more open to hearing about Jesus and coming to church than we realize. Far more. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. The workers are few. There are five million people in our city so many people in Kiribati, Neutral Bay, we are reaching a fraction of people with the gospel. Fraction. 41% of our world is unreached with Jesus, the message of Jesus. By that I mean they don't even have access to churches, to Christians that they might know. Unreached. 41% of the people groups. Even in our city, man, we have been so blessed here at this church with with resources, with people, and yet there are churches in our city, I've been to plenty of them, that struggle to even have the money to employ their senior pastor. Churches which are crying out for resources to be able to reach migrants, international students, uh, teenagers, you name it. And of course, here in Neutral Bay, the harvest is so plentiful and the workers are so... So few. That's why as a church we're passionate about raising up the next generation of leaders. We do things like the intern program because we're passionate about this. But you know, remember, it's not just about paid full-time ministers. Jesus wants us all to be workers. He's calling us all into his harvest field. And so Jesus says, pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Do you do that? Do you pray for workers for God's harvest field? Well, Jesus goes on. He says, not only there's a need, but it's also going to be dangerous. Verse 3, he says, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. It's going to be dangerous. In Australia, we probably aren't going to risk our lives. But plenty of the places in the world we will. But remember what Jesus says. Flick ahead to verse 16. Verse 16, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. 
You may tell someone about Jesus and they may not listen, but they're not actually rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus because it's him you're proclaiming. Well, Jesus goes on. He's talking about what it means to be a messenger. He says, travel light. See verse 4? Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When Christine and I travel anywhere, we normally have two suitcases between us, one very large suitcase, one small suitcase, and Christine gets one and a half of them. (laughs) And I complain, and she says, well, it's because you don't know how to pack properly. So she shows me how to roll everything up, and I don't know how she does it. She's got a point, actually. I'm pretty hopeless. I just shove it all in there. Jesus is saying, don't even pack a bag, not even a handbag, not even a backpack on this journey. Depend on me. Depend on me. How often do we, do, do we say, oh, I'd tell someone about Jesus, but I don't have the words to say, I'm not ready. It's too scary. I don't have the boldness. I know I've been challenged to go into full-time ministry, but first I want to buy a house because that would be a nice security. Or first I want to move forward in my career because then I've got a good backup plan. And Jesus is saying, depend on me 100%. He says there's urgency. Do not greet anyone on the road, verse 4. When you're up in Wickham Road, wherever you are, if you pass a stranger, you don't normally stop and chat with them for 30 minutes. But people in plenty of cultures do. And same with this culture. And Jesus says, no, no, there's no time for that. This is urgent. This message has to get out. No time, there's urgency. And then he says the marvelous words in verse 18. Verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The disciples have been proclaiming Jesus. They come back. They're all excited. And Jesus says, as you've been telling me, people about me, I've seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What's he saying? As we tell people about Jesus, Satan's kingdom is shaken. Satan's kingdom is shaken. Not permanently. It's only when Jesus comes back that Satan will be totally defeated. But he's been given the death sentence at the cross. Jesus defeated him there. And every time someone turns to trust Jesus, they leave the kingdom of darkness, enter the kingdom of light. And you know what? Sometimes that means... Our church services may not always look spectacular here at 6 p.m., but as the gospel is preached, Satan's kingdom is shaken. When someone becomes a Christian, your words may not seem that incredible, but Satan's kingdom is shaken. When we do ministries, they may not always seem flashy, but Satan's kingdom is being shaken. This is a cosmic spiritual battle. And our weapon is the word of God that we preach to a lost and dying world. Well, Jesus is realistic. He knows there's going to be different responses to the message. And so he says in verse 5, he says, If you tell someone about me and they receive the message, go into their home, 
share a meal with them. Don't move from house to house. And what he's saying to us there is, when we tell people about Jesus, people aren't projects. You don't just move from one person to the next. And it's not all about running events. It's about relationships. About relationships with people, sharing our lives with people we know and love, telling them about Jesus, modeling Jesus to them in our actions as well. Sticking with it, relationships. But he says, for those that reject the disciples' message, he says, there will be judgment. He says, to shake the dust off your feet from that town. You're not talking there about Taylor Swift, shake it off. He's not saying, oh, just shake off your worries. He's saying, this is a sign of judgment. A sign of judgment. That's why he says about these towns in verse 13, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. You know, when he says woe there, it's not just about judgment. It's also empathetic. Is Jesus going, how could you do it? How could you reject me? How could you ignore me? This is horrible. This is, this is terrible. You've, you've rejected the message of hope and forgiveness. Woe to Sydney. Woe to Neutral Bay. Woe to Kirribilli, Cremorne. We've heard Jesus. There's no excuse. And yet, so many have rejected him. If you're here tonight and you're someone who hasn't yet decided to follow Jesus, maybe you've been putting it off, maybe you've been putting on a show, whatever it is, don't delay. Trust him. He is our only hope. He loves you. He gave up his life for you at that cross so you could be forgiven, so you could be his child, so you could have eternal life. We're walking the road with Jesus. We follow him. We go before him, proclaiming him. But as we finish, it's worth remembering you know, it's all worth it. Every part of this is worth it. If you were to do a cost-benefit analysis about following Jesus, all the costs would be written there, but the benefits would far outweigh the costs. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The benefits would far outweigh the costs. In this life, yes. I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus, all your sorrows, sorrows will go away, but life will still be hard, but the benefits outweigh the cost in this life but particularly in the life to come. And that's why, and we don't have time to look at it, I wish we did, but in the rest of our passage, verse 17, all the way down to verse 24, there's some repeated words, rejoice, rejoice, joy, rejoice, blessed, joy, because Jesus is saying it's worth it. He says in verse 20, Verse 20, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And verse 23, 
Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. We have seen Jesus. We have heard about him. We are blessed. The disciples had seen Jesus, heard about him. They were blessed. We know that incredible message. That's why we want to tell people. That's why we want to proclaim it. That's why we want to follow him. Because we have heard the message of Christ, our Savior. And so 6 p.m., as you walk the road with Jesus, follow him. The cross before you, the world behind you, no turning back. Proclaim him as a messenger, no matter what the cost. And remember, it is totally worth it. We can rejoice knowing we know the precious message of Jesus. Our names are written in the book of life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for calling us to follow you. And we pray, God, that you would help us to follow you whatever the cost. No turning back, but following you on this road through life. And Lord God, we pray for your harvest field, the many people that need to hear from you. Would you raise up workers to tell people to spread your gospel? And would you send us, send us where you would have us go to proclaim your son and to tell people of the hope and forgiveness found in him. And we pray that many would turn and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.